I have a little bit of a cold, uh, so if my voice gets a little croaky, my, my apologies for that in advance. But let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for uh, your word. Lord, uh, I pray that we come afresh to it this morning with an open heart, open ears, open mind to hear your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so hopefully we won't kick that over and we'll get underway. I went to a trip to Tasmania. And for me to go to Tasmania, I can't fly, so I've got to get a car and catch a train down to Melbourne and get on the spirit of Tasmania and go across to Tasmania. Because I have a perforated eardrum, and when I fly, it bursts it open and causes pain. The other thing is, too, is I'm absolutely chicken, scared to death of getting on a plane. Uh, if you ask my wife what the process I go through in which to get onto an aeroplane, she just laughs. She thinks it's hilarious, all the different things I try to fool myself that I'm actually on a train and not a plane. Um, so I went to Tasmania and we were down there to do a Christian training seminar slash conference. And it was a week long and all the people from all over Australia were converging on this small village in Tasmania. And it's only a small village, so accommodation was a little bit tight. So we had to bunk up with some other people. And in my room was a certain young gentleman who was representing one of the Christian magazines for Australia. I can't actually remember what the magazine was at that stage. But he was here to do an interview on one of the guest lecturers. And his time came during the middle of the week to take off, meet with this lecturer and have a good discussion about what's his theology. What's his beliefs? What was he um, all about? Uh, so that he could write his article. And so he took off, had his moment. And when he went and had his moment, I actually came into the room, had a relaxing time because there was a lot of stuff going on that I was trying to comprehend and I was getting tired and weary. I laid on my bed. I don't know if I was reading the Bible, just a general book of relaxing. And he came in. He threw his gear on the floor. And then he laid on his bed, virtually bounced on it, I said, oh, this doesn't look good. So, you're right there, mate? No! Oh, jeez, this is going to be awkward. I'm frightened of awkward situations. I'm a, I'm a skitty coat, you know. When my wife starts getting loud, I start running. <laughs> anyway, so, <laughs> this guy's getting awkward. I'm thinking, this is an awkward situation. And I don't know how the elders in the church do it, but I, I'm the sort of guy who says, yeah, it's time to move out of here. But I sat there. I said, nah, this, this is important for me to sit. I can't run from this person. So what's wrong? I said, I went over the interview to find out what his theology is and what his belief was, and I've come back with nothing. I've got nothing to report to the, to the Christian magazine. It's the worst interview I've ever done. And I knew the lecturer. I'm starting to think, oh, jeez, the lecturer's had a bad day. He's stuffed up. He's going to give us a bad reputation now. I'm more worried about how things would look. And so, 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 give me an example of what happened. He said, well, every time I'd ask a question, he'd answer the question with a question. <laughs> well, that sounds a little bit like Jesus would do. I'm starting to think, hang on, something else might be going on here that the young bloke may not have comprehended. Anyhow, he, he went on to, discuss, to talk a little bit more about it. And then, at that moment, I was actually reading The Rich Young Ruler, Luke 18, verse 18. I was also reading a book at the time about ideology within the church, not idolatry in the church, ideology. Okay, So I actually then clicked in my mind what I think the problem was. And I actually started laughing 
and I fell onto the floor in a fit of rage. <laughs> And then, then I pulled myself together and thought, well, actually, that's a bit rude. This poor bloke's having an issue and you're rolling around the floor giggling and like a fruitcake. What, what the heck's going on? So I pulled myself together and I actually apologised and I said, sorry, mate, but you've fallen into a trap. I said, no, no, he hasn't set you a trap, Belletra. You're falling into a trap, not the trap, a trap. He goes, what do you mean? I said, I know this lecturer. When you went over there looking to find out what his theology is and what his belief is, he won't answer that question. Well, he actually has answered it, but he's not answered it the way you wanted it to be. His theology was, you know what someone's belief is based on their behaviour, not on what they say. What the outcome is and what is visibly seen is what their belief is. And I said, you're falling into the trap of ideology. You're falling into the trap of back in those days around. And, and the rich young ruler also did the same thing. The rich young ruler walks up to Jesus, says, good teacher. Mistake number one. He's more than the good teacher. In actual fact, Jesus said, only God is good. I don't know who you think you're speaking to. So the rich young ruler comes in and he plays this academic game of actually going through and saying, Oh, yeah, and hail, hello, Jesus, whatever. And Jesus says, so you want to know about eternal life? Yes, what can I do to get eternal life? Well, you know, honour your mother and father. Do not steal, do not commit adultery, do not commit all those things. And he says, yes, done all that since I was a little boy. No problem. At this moment, Jesus is seeing that in and around Jerusalem at a particular time, that a Greek mindset had started to appear in the church where you would discuss certain things. And still to this day, we do have a bit of this Greek mindset. And it's not necessarily wrong, but if it's over-dominant, it can become poisonous. Where we sit around, and even I have done this, and discuss how many angels you can balance on the end of a pinhead. That's the discussions I get involved in sometimes, or ridiculous ones like But Jesus, in this moment, cuts through all that. He moves from a Greek mindset to a very Hebrew mindset, which actually comes from God's perspective. And he says to the rich young ruler, come follow me. There's no room for discussion. At this moment, either you trust and you obey or you don't. It's not like it's a contract. You're 50% there or 50% there. Let's have a discussion about this. No, it is a covenant. A covenant is someone that is superior, high up, which you agree to the contracts or you don't agree to. At this stage, Jesus is asking him, are you willing to come with me into the covenant, not a contract that says, come follow me? And I was illustrating this to this young man and saying, I think that's the trap you've fallen into. You've seen what's happening here this week. You've seen the practical things we're trying to um, get to, but you've gone for an ideological thing so that you can go back to write your article. But the question that the lecturer is asking you, has your life changed has it actually taken root in into practical things he's missed that point in isaiah chapter 64 verse 8 where he says i am the potter you are the clay god is the one that wants to mold us to develop us and to take us into something that is new and beautiful jesus glasses don't reach that far <laughs> okay so Jesus is interested in change he's, in he's interested in the change from where we are 
to where we can become. He's not interested in apathy and mediocrity. The rich young ruler was ticking some of the boxes, thinking that that's enough. But Jesus cuts through it and says, no, I'm not interested in your mediocrity or what you've done. I want you to come follow me. So Jesus, in contrast to that, is interested in humanity being changed externally and internally. Now, if you're someone like me, I love the external stuff. You can get your teeth into it. Let's do a kids club. Let's get involved in doing mission into the outback outback, or getting into anything like that. Just like Paul was, let's get justification by grace sorted out. And these silly circumcised people, what the heck are they thinking? You can get your teeth into it. And injustice issues, climate change. Let's get ourselves involved in that. Not that they're wrong. But the book of James, and that's what I'm getting to read in this first chapter, he's more focused on the internal stuff that needs to be put in place. The sanctification is the fancy theological words, is the work that we need to do internally. So James, actually, hang on to it. James starts off, and we'll look at James, we get to the first one, is that the first point is we need to be receptive we need to be receptive to God's word. If you read in chapter 1, verse 19, it starts off along these lines. The first thing is, dear brothers. Dear brothers. Oh, that's interesting. We can all go for a... The ladies, you can leave now and go for a cup of tea because it's only for the men, this verse. No. Actually, further on, it says everyone. But dear brothers, he's talking here, is not just the men, but the people and the believers in the place it's focusing internally. Sometimes the church, we look out at the world and look at all the bad things. He, he starts off here. No, we need to do some cleaning up in our own backyard. Dear brothers, and the point that he makes in this verse 19, take note, it's the first imperative leading into other imperatives. Take note, this is important. This is important. The three things that, that he talks about are important, that their imperatives are quick to listen, slow to speak and slow to become angry why does he focus on these because this book of James in this chapter and what is happening in around Jerusalem and the church around there is that James, the writer of James is not seeing it the perspective of what they're seeing is that we've got it all together but he's going, no it's ugly it actually says that it has moral filth and you can't see it You're blinded by your own stupidity. So therefore, I need to point these imperatives out to you to actually see what is really going on. So the first one I want to look at is quick to listen. Why would it say quick to listen? I think for me, it focuses on, it's important we hear a willingness. A willingness to engage, to move quickly, to engage listening quickly. It's the only thing I actually can be quick about these days. My old legs can't keep up with teenagers anymore, so physically I'm falling behind. So there's no excuse if you're old. You can still listen quickly. And I think the reason why it focuses on... There's many reasons that some of the people spoke about that I looked up in books, but, they, but the thing that pointed out to me, and I hope it's a message for you, is we move into quickly listening because our natural instinct and our bias, our human nature, is not to do that. So to counteract that, let's get in quick. 
let's set up some new habits of listening quickly. Because if you do that, then you'll actually stop all the other stuff happening. I don't know if you've ever actually been out in your garden, you turn on the hose, and when the hose pushes through the lawn, sometimes it stops. It pools around a little bit with the leaves and the twigs and, and the water doesn't quite flow. But then once it breaks through, it actually the water that comes behind it follows it through. And I think that's about how we form new habits in our mind. They actually can scientifically see in your brain by things about a particular pattern that's been ingrained in your brain about how you actually respond or not respond to certain things. So if we're going to be quick to listen, we need to create new pathways in our brain, in, in our way that we operate, to actually create a pathway that we are quick to listen so that these other biases that we do of speaking and doing other things happens. So we create new habits, new habitual ways of dealing with things by listening as opposed not to. And those pathways can be healthy ones. I know that down on my dad's farm, there's a pathway goes right around our house and with the wet weather it's as muddy as anything. The dog has got bored and it's doing laps and there's all this mud and mum can't get to the clothesline and it's chaotic. But that are bad habits. Habits that are doing things that are not right. But that doesn't mean we can't create appropriate pathways, clean but not muddy pathways that lead us to listening quickly. And the other thing that is... Um, about listening is that anyone can listen. You don't have to do a course to do it. You just need to be still, take time out to let someone enter into your world. But if you're like me, that's a little bit on the slow uptake on listening because when you're a country boy, you just action, 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 and why would you want to listen? You just do something. Anyhow, when I went into my training Bible college at Rule, I wasn't a very good listener at all. So they learnt you some skills not in Bible college, but also in this training course, that you'd break up into triads. One person would speak, and the other person would listen, and the other person would observe to see what you're doing wrong. Oh, man, it was painful. Here's this country boy sitting down trying to learn terms like, so are you saying... I feel like this fake psychiatrist, you know, going, oh, crap, are you for real? I've got to do this mumbo-jumbo? That's the first thing that started coming along. And I read it off. But years later, as I started engaging these listening skills of paraphrasing, reflective listening, actually the thing that clicked it for me is the reason behind it. It's nice to do those things, but if you don't have a reason why you're learning these listening skills or a reason why you're doing it, then you, you'll just be a parrot. What I learnt was two things is, it's creating a pathway that's helpful that says these people are important. I'm going to hold on to my agenda and all the things I want to share, hold back so that that person can rise to their moment. It's their opportunity to express, and it's my opportunity to see where they're coming from, who they are, what makes them tick, what's their pain in life. So it's about letting me, it says in the Bible, lay your life down for one another. I know that mostly is speaking about martyrism, lay your life down for another person, but I think there's other passages that says no put others first lay your life down in this moment so someone else can succeed
Okay, so not only listening quickly, but the other things we talk about, the two other imperatives, is to speak. Become slow to speak. Now, if you're in Jamboree, oh, the country farmers speak slowly anyhow, so it doesn't really matter. No, well, actually, in fact, I don't think that's what this saying is here, but what I learnt from those Jamboree farmers is they were choosing their words very wisely and would speak slowly, at least two of them that I know of, so that they knew what they were saying and that it wasn't going to cause problems. Because if you live in a country village, you don't need internet and email for things to go around in 24 hours in a local Jamboree town. So we've got to speak slowly, but not slowly so much like this, but slow to jump in. Um, who's been highly embarrassed about by saying something in front of someone and you wish the world would gobble you up and swallow you up? Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, I've, the one that stuck out as I was preparing for this one that hurts, although it's, you sort of laugh at it and then at times you still, as you, as you do it, you think, how stupid, even the pain comes back to me as I was researching this, how stupid were you? I was went into Kayama, because Jamboree boys on the farm, not much to do, go and get a milkshake, have a hamburger, let's go to Kayama, nothing else better to do. And then my mate started looking into the real estate property, so I'm thinking, well, buy another farm, what's he doing? Is he for real? Is, has he got money for that? Anyhow, I always said, oh, well, I'll have a look around. Couldn't see my dad's property up there. He says, at least this is not for sale. Then I saw this property, and I looked at the price. I went, you're kidding. They want that much money for that? You've got to be joking. I said, hey, Bill, come over here, mate. He walks over. Yeah, what, can you see? Look at this. What a rip-off. They want that. He says, yeah, that's my dad's property. Oh, man. If only the earth could chew me up at the moment. I felt so bad. And, and, and the thing was, instead of owning up and apologising, human nature wanted to cover it up. Oh, you better tell the real estate bloke to get a better picture. That's not really showing you a property. Look, it's got the rocks in the road, not the lush land. Making it worse. On the way home to Jamboree, I couldn't say anything. I just sat in the back of the car like a fruitcake. I felt so bad. And I thought, I've wrecked this relationship. Didn't even say goodbye. Just opened the door of the old HR hold and hopped out. Dropped in the guy, sat there and thought, what a waste of a day this is. It's just ruined everything. And that bloke's not going to ring me. He's not going to pick me up to go to football. I'm going to have to get my own car to get there. It's done. It's dusted. So we've got to be very slow to speak. Um, my wife, she loves home and away. And she was, yeah, it's painful. Come to my house. <laughs> and then sometimes she watches Real Housewives of Melbourne. I think there's nothing real about that, and trust me, man, when I watch it. And I come into the lounge room, she's watching it, oh, for goodness sakes, and I come with the high moral ground of, what are you watching this rubbish for? You were meant for more. That's the sermon in my head that I want to lay upon you right now, the Holy Spirit convict you. And do it now, God, because I hate this show. Anyhow, I go in there, and one of the comments, I speak to the TV, and my wife looks at me, you're a fruitcake. I look at the TV and I go, they say there might be a comment on the TV as, I'm going to do away with you. And I go, I wish you'd do away with a lot of yous. And there's this regurgitation, this not slow to speak, but very quick to speak. This pattern I've got in my head that I need to get this dog thing that's running around the house that's almighty out of my life. I'm not, I'm not, it's, it's irrelevant whether it's right, the, the shows that my wife was. What's relevant in this moment is if well and I'm willing to change. That I become slow to speak. I'm not slow to speak, I'm yelling at a TV. 
how stupid and how uh, fickle are we as human beings. Uh, and the other thing that frustrates my wife is she'll have a conversation about TAFE and she'll be telling the story thinking her husband's doing nice listening to all the way doing this journey. But my mind's up here. I'm at the end of the story. I've already mapped out where this is going to... I know the ending. I know the ending. Hear it? I know the ending. And I start to interject with my wife. Well, that's going to happen. This was going to happen. And guess what? There's nothing wrong with having a mind that, that sees the forecast, that predicts possibilities. It's not necessarily wrong. It's speaking out about it. I've got to, and we've got to learn to hang on to those inferences. Hold them back so that new possibilities, new learnings and new understandings might give way that the door will open up to us. And another reason for slow to speak is that we monitor our speech so that it's beneficial for others, especially on our emails and our Twitters. The other thing is to, is to become slow. The other imperative is slow to become angry. Now, I've lived in Christian community, and i tell you what, um, you know, we sharpen up each other, as the Bible says, or we blunten up. I thought I had it all together. I thought that my explosive TNT wick was quite long. I thought that when we have conflict, he's really good. He's a peacemaker. And then your single life, that's good, good. And you may be, but given in a given context, that may change. I got married. Context changed. My sweet sugar plum during my engagement days and into the first few hour months, my sugar plum was everything. Well, that's the platform. That's the platform that I was operating on. And I became angry at my wife, and my wife became angry with me. She thought she married this handsome, well-rounded, attractive man. And then she looks at me and goes, what have I done? So anger in a given context can show itself up. And in, and in this verse, in these verses, it talks about man's anger, it actually says. It's funny that man's anger is different to God's anger. And we need also to learn that with this anger, it can't be changed. A lot of people say, oh, I can't change my anger. It's the way I am. Well, sorry, Scripture says here, be slow to be angry. It implies we can make change. Yes, there's more damage in some human beings. Yes, there's more pain in other human beings. And their wick will be short than yours, mate. And that's where we need to have mercy. But we also need to help people become who they were destined to be so that the anger doesn't rule or run their lives and that that pattern in their head is dispelled and a new you arises in that moment. So my plan for this week is when I see a driver not doing what I wanted to do, a word that I learned from my father, which I curse to this day, comes out and haunts me every now and then, I look at him and go, you bullfed. I don't want to hear that buffet word anymore as I'm driving. In actual fact, sometimes I say buffet and I drive up next to them, look at them, go, yep, I'm convinced they're buffet. They look like a buffet. Okay? All right, moving along. This can see, well, you laugh, it might be funny at one level, but it's, it's not conducive to other people in their growth. Um, 
And then moving on, it actually says that that does um, put away this uh, anger because it does not bring about the righteousness of life that God desires. So God has a desire for us to change. The word desire comes across clearly in that. The next thing is also the word in verse 21, therefore, meaning that things are going to slightly change here a little bit. So instead of all this ugliness, this moral filth that's carrying on amongst you, the writer of is saying to him, and guess what? It's prevalent. The word actually there is prevalent. So he's actually saying to you, you guys are kidding yourselves. You think you've got it all together. You're on a wrong platform. You need to get off that platform and actually see what's happening. And he actually uses the word in verse 21, humbly accept the word that was planted in you. Humbly accept the word that was planted in you. And so for me, I think that humbling is a misunderstood word in the church. Yes, it does mean humbling yourself, lowering yourself, but not just for the lowering yourself's sake. It's like, like some people say, I'm going to empty myself of everything of the world. But if you don't fill it up with Christ, you'll just fill it up again with something else anyhow. So the emptying out is only one part of the process. The part is what are you going to fill it up with next is the challenge for us all. So humble ourselves. Yes, lower yourself. Not in a self-wailing, I'm no good, I'm hopeless sort of humbling. Humbling yourself though in the hope that the word that was planted in you will arise. And you'll see another perspective. That your evil, you'll see it for what it is. Instead of walking around sleepwalking and not actually knowing what you're doing. So humble yourself so that the word that was planted in you will show the new nature and not the old nature. Uh, in our home, and in many homes up in Silverdale that we've just moved into, Alan's Homes put in the plants for you. Beautiful. No mucking around for me, no digging, plants there. Whoop. And that's what the Word of God has done. It was planted. It's given to you. It's there. Our job is to look after it. And one good thing is I've not had to water my plants in the last few weeks. It's a wonder they haven't lifted up out of the ground and floated down the street with all of the rain with that. But nevertheless, I still have to fertilise it. I, if the word is in me and it lightens me up and goes, oh, Keith, you've got a problem. You can't run around calling drivers buffheads all your life. You're in the car on your own, but one day you're going to get caught out like you were with your mate Bill, the real estate agent. You're going to say something that's going to offend. And even if someone's not in your car, Jesus is next to you. Okay, so humbly lower yourself so that the word that was planted in you and the question for us, though, are we hindering that word that was planted in us? Are we horticulturally pruning our, the words and so that the word will save us properly, that the true sanctification of who we're meant to be will take place? So not only do we need to be receptive to God's word, we need to be submissive to God's word. Page four is taken off. Okay, so we need to be submissive to the word. In verses 22 and 25, it says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. What was that great Nike ad back in 1988? It started, just do it. Love it. It's not complete, it's not a whole truth, but it's a reminder. Just do it. Don't deceive yourselves. Do what the Word of God says. I love that word, merely listen. 
doesn't mean that listening is wrong. We need to listen to the word because if we don't hear the word, we can't put it into action. But the message here, don't merely listen to the word, means implies that there's something else that's more important. And the more important part is for us, that far outweighs it, is to put it into action. I uh, don't know about you, but when men were men, sorry, women, um, we used to shave our face back in the day when you didn't have all these fancy shaving can things. Simple sunlight soap, just lather it up with things like that. Or pear soap, who remembers those days? Pear soap, sunlight soap. And you'd sit in front of the mirror and you'd say, well, it's good, look at that, Santa Claus. Job's not done. I've listened to the word, and all the men, at least in this week, can look at when they haven't a shave, saying, okay, like Keith said, shaving cream's on, I've listened to the word. Job's not done. I need to put into action the shaving part. It's just like a panel beater. There's rust. I see the rust. I've listened to the word. Okay, I'm going to walk off. No, he has to do with that rust, and you need to cut it out. And then the Bible verse illustration of its own. The mirror. Mirror, mirror on the wall. And here are an illustration of a joker or jokers. And maybe I'm one of the jokers. The walks in and looks at a mirror, sees the word of God and then walks off and forgets it. How is that possible? How is it possible that you look into a mirror, look into the word of God and then walk off and forget it? He has the busyness of life, God in its road, that we've forgotten what the word is like, just like these people that James is talking to. Is it that we've looked at it and said, I love the word of God, but gee, it's hard to put into practice. It's just too hard work. I'm going to move on. That's the challenge for us. I think it's quite interesting to actually, you know, understand that when you look into a mirror, you might miss a pimple. You might miss a cold store. Forget your whole self is a little bit ridiculous. And I think that's the point of this, is how ridiculous can it be that you look into the Word of God and that you walk off and you forget all about what you're about. To be changed, one must submit what they hear from the Word and must listen to it and obey it and fulfil it. Not like the rich young ruler who only wanted to do an academic equation. So we have to be receptive to God's word, quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to be angry, meaning that we've got to get ready, prepare ourselves, then ultimately submit ourselves to God's word. And thirdly, we must move by God's word into pure religion. It actually says in verse 26, if anyone considers himself religious, and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself. I find that funny, interesting concept. You can deceive yourself, not by anyone else. You deceive yourself. You play tricks with yourself. You tell yourself treaties and lies in head. It's not too bad. It's not too ever. And that's what we do in this situation. I think that's what the people have done here. They've put themselves on a platter. They've tricked themselves into believing that they're actually in the right position, but they're not. I think if this writer not only sent the word but actually turned up into the town and said, okay, who among you thinks you're religious? Interesting moment, if, you know, you ask the question. If you put up your hand and you're wrong, highly embarrassed, get it down quick. Whoops, don't want to make a mistake. You might be on the wrong platform. 
But if you don't put up your hand, then the question is, why not? Why aren't you religious? You should be. God asks us to be. It's his our desire to be. So maybe there's a problem. The problem is, are we on the wrong platform? And the Bible, we know what true religion is by change. The change is, and one of the changes is to do with the tongue, to rein it in. The image comes to me to rein it in is like my sister's horse. Beautiful looking horse, white on the outside, pure. The name, Shandy, beautiful name. But the behaviour was like a mule. I never rode the thing, neither did my sister. She gave up on it, so one day I put it into... Don't tell RSPCA I did this, by the way. Put it into the cattle yard because we couldn't get on the damn thing. And I put the head crush on it, but it puts it around and holds it. And then I hopped on, pulled the crush off, and then the only way I could control this horse was to pull back on it. I'm not talking back lightly. The Bible says pull back tightly on your reins to hold in your tongue. And so, therefore, to be what is true religion is to pull back on those things that are not honourable to God so that these other things can become paramount. And the things that is based on true religion, if you're on the right platform, is this, that we help the orphans, that we help the widows and people in distress, and we do not get polluted by this world. We are so focused on climate change and other things very important. You know, there's various arguments on that, the climate change. We hear about it all the time, but very, and how it pollutes the world, but very rarely do we talk about our pollution. Our pollution that is more offensive to God, maybe more even supersede global climate change and the other things that are there before us. Well, people, the way that we know that what our true religion is, is when we know we're on the platform, when we're reigning in our tongue and that our actions are living it out. Have you, have I fallen into the trap of just ideology? Have you forgotten what the living law that lives in you is like and that was planted in you? In the coming weeks, it would be interesting to know, well, God will know, even if Keith doesn't, how we have changed or not changed. Are we going to be receptive to the word? Then are we going to be submissive to the word or are we going to look in the mirror and walk off? Are we going to put it into action and just do it like Nike did, told us to do, or even better still, that the scriptures invite us to do? Amen.